I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. A happy Juneteenth and a happy Father's Day to everybody as I'm recording this on Sunday night. Usually these come at the end of a Marlins series, right? From Sunday night into Monday morning, but this time still finishing up a series between the Marlins and the Mets in New York. Be sure to keep up with Fish Stripes coverage wherever it is that you spend your attention on all the screens that you use and all the social media platforms that you're on, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, just find Fish Stripes on there. I've been harping on this a little while. YouTube, our number one priority right now just to get to the milestone of 1,000 subscribers. We're within reach. It only takes you a couple seconds to do so to get content there that you can't get from any of our other other platforms. But of course, we have it all wrapped up and packaged and delivered to you in one convenient place on fishstripes.com. That's the mothership. Please bookmark that and visit us throughout the season and off-season all year round. Go to fishstripes.com. Everything from myself and our 10, 11, 12 contributors. I lose count at this point. It's been busy. It's always busy over there. Win or lose for the Marlins, it doesn't matter. I think we all had high expectations for Sandy Alcantara this year, how he seems to get better every single season. And at the start of this new contract extension, that maybe he would make the leap from being great to being elite 
to reaching a level where he'd be getting the national, international recognition he deserves. No matter what you may have hoped for Sandy this year, as we get pretty deep into this 2022 season, it is evident that he is even better. He is like beyond descriptions. He is one of one in Major League Baseball right now. So most of this episode is going to be about Sandy picking up his latest win on Sunday over the Mets. And I'll be going through each of the last three games of this series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in the small pod portion. And of course, I'll be getting my fish prospects of the week and more on the other side of this break. Stick with us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. These crazy MLB schedule makers, they waited 60 plus games into the season to actually have division rivals play against each other. So the first of 19 games between the Marlins and the Mets, that was Friday night. It was a stinker, honestly. You know, Pablo Lopez on the mound. This was one of his worst outings of the year. Um, Any way you slice it, he fell behind early in this game. Francisco Lindor with a home run that gave the Mets a bit of a cushion in the bottom of that first inning. And the bats really didn't muster much of a fight against him. The only run that the Marlins got during the competitive portion of this game was Brian De La Cruz in the fifth inning, and all that did is like maybe make up for an error that he made back in the first. It was ugly. It really turned in the sixth inning. The Mets batted around against Pablo, against Tommy Nance in that inning. Ultimately, Pablo charged with seven runs, six of them earned in five and a third innings. I'd say he was more competitive than that would suggest. Uh, either way, it bloats his ERA to 2.85. And the Marlins lose this game by a final score of a 10 to 4 against the Mets. I guess a Pete Alonso Grand Slam was the nail in the coffin of this. And Pete Alonso, in a relatively short major league career, he has quite a track record now of hitting bombs against the fish. This was also the first sighting of Jimmy Yacobonis. And more about him in just a couple of minutes. He pitches a scoreless inning in this one during his Marlins 2022 debut. We got to see Lewin Diaz fresh off um, being called up from AAA. This was when they put Jesus Aguilar and Jesus Sanchez on the COVID IL. And as we are talking here at the end of the weekend, it looks like both of those could be actual positive COVID cases that could keep those guys up for a while. Moving on to Saturday, at least the score was a lot closer than this one. The Marlins lose 3-2 with me in attendance at Citi Field. It was a good experience, a good fan experience, I'll say that much. Deja vu from Friday with Francisco Lindor hitting another home run relatively early in this game that put the Mets ahead for good over the Marlins. Started by Braxton Garrett, he only goes four innings. And it should be noted that the bullpen did a great job for the Marlins in this one, keeping them in it all the way to the end. It was Dylan Floro, then it was Jimmy Yacobonis again with especially nasty arm side run on that sinker of his. Richard Blyer and even Lewis Head. We've been harsh on Lewis Head because he has been just a mess the past few weeks. But those guys combined to go four 
scoreless innings in relief of Braxton Garrett. John Birdie, three more stolen bases to get up to 18, tied for the major league lead for a guy that himself missed several weeks due to COVID and spent a part of the season only as a bench player. He's been really good near the top of the Marlins lineup for the past several weeks. And if you haven't noticed, he's been their everyday third baseman during during that stretch. Top of the ninth inning against Edwin Diaz, it just feels inevitable, unlike for the Marlins. This is the total opposite feeling in this scenario where you feel hopeless in coming back. And the Marlins shockingly score a legitimate run. That is the phrasing that Isaac and I used at the game against Edwin Diaz, held by a John Birdie stolen base, by a clutch Garrett Cooper hit. Ultimately, they come up that one run short, and you have to wonder how different it could have been if that borderline pitch to Jazz Chisholm Jr., which wasn't really borderline, it was inside. It was just a bad missed call by home plate umpire that day, Adam Beck. Pitch to Jazz, called strike three on a pitch that was six inches off the plate. I've never seen Jazz that animated. Strike zone today for Adam Beck has been terrible, though. It really has been. And Jazz just got run. If that is called correctly, you wonder exactly what Jazz does in that situation. He has been immensely clutch all season long, and in this scenario, did not even get a fair shake at hitting against Diaz in the ninth inning there. So spirits are pretty low entering Sunday, as we've seen time and time again, Sandy Alcantara, he just changes everything about this team when he is on top of his game. We're going through this extended stretch now of a full month and a half where he is seemingly at the top of his game or close to it every single start. So first about the non-Sandy stuff on Sunday, the Marlins end up winning this one 6-2 and again with Francisco Lindor. He was the one that broke up a scoreless tie. They went all the way into the bottom of the sixth without a single run crossing the plate for either team. And it was Lindor driving and startling Marte. You got really worried at that point that <laughs> that would be the difference in the game. But in the seventh inning, one of the more exhilarating Marlins rallies of the entire season to this point against Chris Bassett and then out of the bullpen, Seth Lugo. The Marlins load the bases with one out for newbie making his major league debut Gerard Encarnacion he had already made an impact in the game with his throwing arm on an outfield assist and in this scenario still looking for his first hit I believe it was a full count against Lugo he goes the opposite way for a go-ahead eventual game winning grand slam in his debut now a 3-2 pitch this one's into right field, hit pretty well. This one's carrying, this one is gone! It's a grand slam for Gerard Encarnacion! And you can't say that you were shocked by it. This is what Gerard has been doing all year long at AA and at AAA, and even prior to the pandemic in 2019. This is what made people excited about Encarnacion so much in the first place. True power to all fields against anybody. What a day, what a day for him to make the difference in the game in the starting lineup after sitting on the bench the previous couple days. It wasn't clear how Encarnacion was gonna get used during this first cup of coffee in the big leagues and he took advantage of his moments. Wow. Back to Sandy, he was the one that kept the Mets off the scoreboard through six innings. 
once he finally had some cushion to work with, another small run comes across in the seventh, but Sandy buckles down, gets through that inning, gets through the eighth inning. He was at 106 pitches at that point, and they felt it was a comfortable enough cushion to go to Tanner Scott to right himself after that embarrassing blown save walk-off loss earlier in the week, and Scott gets into a little bit of drama with a pair of walks, but otherwise shuts the door without any additional runs coming across. What stuck out with Sandy in this one is how much he used his secondary pitches, especially his changeup. Those are, it's every single game. He is adaptable in that way. There are some days where he's really feeling his fastball. The velocity was good in this one. It was pretty much what you normally expect from him. Uh, topping out at 99 again and again and again. Um, but he used a lot more of his secondary pitches, his changeup and his slider than usual. He earned this one, and he has been reproving himself again and again. His ERA for the year actually ticks up to 1.72 after entering the game at 1.68. My fish prospects of the week going to the minor league side. On the pitching side, I will go with a reliever. Josh Simpson, I believe I've mentioned him on the pod at least once, if not twice, the lefty for AA Pensacola. He had a hiccup uh, in late May, maybe early June. Outside of that, he's been about as good as any relief pitcher in minor league baseball, certainly in the Marlins system. This past week, four innings, nine strikeouts, 13 batters faced, one base runner. Next pitch, swing and a miss. Curveball got Mervis, and it's a 1-2-3-8 inning. One base runner away from a perfect week pitching high leverage innings for Pensacola. If you want to learn all there is to learn about Simpson, check out our guy Alex Carver at fishonthefarm.com. A full article about Simpson coming off his latest very impressive stretch in the case, in the case being made that he should be up in the big leagues by the end of this year based on the stuff that he has and how consistent he has been for the most part this season. Hitter of the week in the Marlins organization. I'm going with infielder Jose Salas. He got off to a slow start, came into this year with a lot of hype, and he is finally, over these last couple weeks, he is absolutely fulfilling the prophecy that he's going to be one of the best prospects in this organization, a top 100 caliber prospect in all of minor league baseball. He's getting really close there, especially what he just did for Jupiter, an OPS right around 1,100 this past series with only one strikeout all week. It's actually one strikeout going back to like the middle of last week, 34 plate appearances for a switch hitter to be making that much contact, extremely encouraging. And remember, he is only 19 years old and playing at full season ball. If he keeps this up just a few weeks longer, you need to seriously think about promoting him to high A. He has been, of late, certainly the most standout player at the low A level. And there are really a lot of other honorable mentions I could go to here. This was a nice week for the Marlins farm system, about as good on the individual and team level combined that I can think of all year long combining it. Uh, honorable mentions on the pitching side, both Pat Monteverde and Zach King, they went six scoreless innings apiece. And also in Jupiter, not that far behind Salas in terms of recent performance, Osiris Johnson, former second round pick in 2018. His offensive performance for most of this year, all of last year, um, for most of his career, he's been just this hit first player that is not hitting at the full season level when he gets the opportunity. Finally, maybe turning the corner 
Over the last week, his average for the year climbed from 197 to 231. That's more respectable. His OPS from 553 to 600. And if he can stick up the middle defensively as a center fielder, don't give up on Osiris Johnson yet. There are two types of people in the baseball world right now. Those who root for Sandy Alcantara every fifth day when he takes the mound, and those who do not. It's growing, and it's growing, and it's growing exponentially this year as he continues this insane stretch. One that has no other like contemporary comparison. One of one, as I said before. Nobody else like him right now. A couple stats from Sarah Langs of MLB.com. She's a researcher over there. Sandy Alcantara has gone seven plus innings, allowing two earned runs or fewer in eight straight starts. That's the longest such single season streak since Felix Hernandez in 2014. First time in eight years there's been somebody combining that extended consecutive streak of volume and effectiveness. I'm going to keep going back to that. That combination, volume and effectiveness, that's what Sandy is doing unlike anybody else in baseball these days. Again, from Sarah Langs, a total of 63 and two-thirds innings pitched for Sandy over his last eight starts. That's nearly eight innings per start. The last pitcher to throw a 63-plus innings in an eight-outing span, Chris Sale and Clayton Kershaw in 2016. Yeah. So you have Felix Hernandez, you have Chris Sale, you have Clayton Kershaw, and you have Sandy Alcantara. And you have really nobody in between. Nobody in recent years, as we've seen the way that baseball has changed and the way that starting pitchers have, not training wheels, I would say, but they, they're they being pampered. They're being watched very closely. They're being held and treated so delicately that even those maybe with the potential to do what Sandy's been doing, they just don't get the opportunities to do that before. And Sandy is getting those opportunities and almost every single time he is taking advantage of them and just reinforcing how special he is. Sandy overall is at 99 in a third innings pitched this season. Number two is Aaron Nola at 89 and two-thirds. It's a gap of nine and two-thirds between number one and number two, and that's the same as the gap between number two and number 13 in Major League Baseball in innings pitch right now. He is on his own stratosphere his own planet in terms of the volume that he provides. Oh, my favorite thing with him is that this streak of not allowing home runs, that has especially been, in recent years, a critical piece to how teams create offense. They rely more and more on home runs than they ever had before, understanding how good pitching stuff is across the league. That just keeps getting better, and for hitters to keep up, they put more of their time and more of their plate appearance focus on hitting the ball out, like not feeling as a lineup that they'll be able to get enough base runners to manufacture runs. Instead, they try to hit it out, and yet nobody's been able to do it against Sandy in like a month plus. He has faced 227 straight batters without allowing a home run. That goes all the way back to his start on the road against Arizona It's also fascinating to look at the only players that have hit a home run against Sandy this year. On opening day, Joey Bart did it. Um, In May 1st on the Mariners, it was J.P. Crawford and Julio Rodriguez. And during that Arizona start, way back on May 11th, that was Alec Thomas. 
So what, what does that tell you? That tells me none of those players had ever faced Sandy prior to those games where they hit those home runs. Normally, we think about the advantage going to the pitcher when there's a lack of familiarity, and then over time that the hitters adjust and the hitters get a good read on you and understand what you're trying to do. And with Sandy, he completely bucks that trend in every way from start to start, like just overall as a pitcher in his games and also inside of games, the way that he performs when he gets deeper into his games, there's just such an insignificant, if not like a non-existent drop-off in performance as he gets deeper into his outings, as he gets the second and the third and the fourth time through a lineup. It is unheard of for pitchers to work four times through a lineup these days. And during the streak, the last eight starts, he has had five starts where he's pitched to 30-plus batters. There, is, there have been five starts where he's worked deep into the fourth time through a lineup. I apologize for all the math that is in here. It made me difficult to wrap your mind around it. He is just breaking the mold. He is defying all the rules of how starting pitchers are supposed to be utilized in the year 2022, and it has been majestic to watch. Overall, he leads Major League Baseball in total batters faced and in adjusted ERA. His adjusted ERA entering um, this most recent start, it was 246, where league average is 100, so it was almost two and a half times better than league average when you adjust for the playing conditions and the ballparks that he's been pitching in. Um, I believe that's going to go down just a tiny bit coming off this most recent outing, but not a whole lot. And it's you just cannot do any better than he is doing. Perfection. You're not going to pitch perfect games every single outing. This is the realistic closest point that you could get to being a perfect pitcher when you are providing more volume than everybody else and you're more effective than everybody else. And a key point to that effectiveness is being impossible to barrel up with his plus-plus fastball velocity, his great command of that pitch that wasn't always there, and the way that both his slider and his changeup have emerged as terrific pitches as well. He's a complete pitcher in every sense of the word. We've spent quite a bit of time thinking about exactly how special he is in the history of the Marlins and whether we've seen something like this before. There really isn't much precedent for what he is doing. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I mean, if we go back relatively recent history to the late, great Jose Fernandez, just to put this into perspective what Sandy is doing, Jose Fernandez, his entire Marlins career, he had 
six starts where he went at least eight innings pitched. Sandy, this season, not yet halfway through the year, he has six starts of eight-plus innings pitched. He has as many of those super long starts already this year as Jose Fernandez had in his entire career. You have to go back to a combination of peak Kevin Brown and peak Dontrell Willis. That's really it. I looked at Kevin Brown in 1996. You could check his game logs on Baseball Reference or wherever you prefer. June and July of 96, it looked a lot like what Sandy is doing. An ERA in the low ones during that stretch. Several complete games. Both him and Dontrell, they just come to mind as those guys that are not overly reliant on missing bats. They are just complete enough as pitchers and smart enough on that mound and in sync enough with who they work with in this game. Uh, Jacob Stallings has taken a lot of flack this year for the way that he's performing, hitting right at the Mendoza line with virtually no power and with some questionable pitch framing skills. Like it or not, you need to give him credit for catching every single pitch that Sandy has thrown this year. I don't think it's a complete coincidence that we're getting the best version of Sandy this year. Kevin Brownish, 1996. D-Train, look at August and September of 2005. Very similar story where he's just working so deep into those games with limited runs allowed, in many cases scoreless outings. Kevin Brown in 96, he finished second in NL Cy Young Award voting. Dontrell Willis, in 2005, finished second in NL Cy Young Award voting. If you revisit both of those campaigns, especially D-Train in 05, there is a flimsy case, I would say, for the pitchers that actually won the awards this year. Both Brown and Willis were plenty deserving in those seasons. And naturally, the way that Sandy has pitched, how consistently he has been doing exactly what I've already told you that he's been doing this year, there's been Cy Young hype for him. Uh, At the very least, you have to have him in the top two of the National League. I think the only other pitcher maybe in the conversation is the one who has a slightly lower basic ERA than Sandy does. That's Joe Musgrove, but the difference in volume is pretty stark. It's about 20 innings difference in a workload already to this point in the season between Alcantara and Musgrove. I think any rational person coming off this game, seeing now the way that he's done it against such a variety of opponents as well, this being the first time he's had an opportunity to face the Mets, perhaps the best lineup that he has pitched against this year, but he's also pitched against the Braves multiple times. He's pitched on the road against the Padres, and he's faced the Phillies in his last start against the Phillies. That's a red-hot lineup that he did basically the same thing in that game that he did against the Mets. In fact, he could have remembered the controversy. That feels like an an eternity ago, but that was just the beginning of this past week when they pulled him out of that eighth inning instead of giving him the opportunity to finish that and uh, maintain a Marlins lead. You can begin dreaming about Sandy being in National League MVP contention. That's a rare stratosphere for a pitcher to be in. Of course, in the American League last year, Shohei Otani won as both a pitcher and as a DH. He needed to do both of those at a very high level in order to win that award. Other than him, you have to go 
geez, how far back do you have to go to find a pitcher MVP in either league? It would be Clayton Kershaw in 2014. That's the most recent one. Yeah, it's been uh, eight years since the peak of Clayton Kershaw. And around that, that time, Justin Verlander, a couple of years before, it is extraordinarily rare for somebody to do that. I think the stars are aligning for Sandy to have a strong case of that. If you look at the National League, it's not quite as loaded on the individual level as the AL is. There's been so much noise around what Aaron Judge is doing on his home run pace with Mike Trout returning to Mike Trout levels after, of course, missing time due to injuries. That's a super intriguing race on the American League side. On the NL, going by baseball reference, wins above replacement, the most valuable player to this point in the season entering Sunday was Manny Machado who unfortunately went down with, I think, a sprained ankle here on Sunday. They went through x-rays. They came back negative. He'll be back this year. Um, Still not even totally sure if he's going to go on the injured list, but we will um, find out for sure pretty soon exactly what's going to go on with him. He's the type of player. He's always had immense talent. It would not be shocking at all if Machado got some MVP love, especially playing for a team that has been without Fernando Tatis all season long for a team that is obviously winning more games than the Marlins are to this point. If we assume that Machado is going to miss a little bit of time, that's going to put Paul Goldschmidt, perhaps, in the front-runner position. Goldschmidt has had an amazing career, and this year is, to this point, on pace to be as good as he's ever been for the Cardinals. He is right around the league leaders in not only batting average, but also on base and in slugging. It's hard for a first baseman to be on pace for eight wins above replacement, but that's what he is doing. Actually, he's kind of close to nine wins above replacement at his current pace from how he's performing with the Cardinals. He's a sensational player. He's also an older player. He is going to be, by the end of the season, 35 years old. The last time a player of that age won an MVP in either league it was Justin Morneau way back in 2006. Now, that's the name from the past. He won in the American League while a member of the Twins. And I remember that year. That Even that was a little bit um, controversial. It was not an easy win for Morneau that year. Otherwise, the MVP is a young man's game. And so while I would not doubt Goldschmidt's talent, I do wonder exactly whether physically he's going to be in a position to maintain these immense numbers to continue with a weighted runs created plus that's nearly 200, nearly double the league average. Um, physically, I don't know if he's going to hold up. Even if he plays almost every game, will fatigue set in and bring some of those numbers down to numbers that are just more indicative of his career norms as he is at a stage of his career that normally is post-peak. I'm not going to count him out, but I'm saying that even he has some flaws as a candidate. Outside of those two in the National League, Tommy Edmond, in terms of war, is right there as well. Goldschmidt's teammates, um, and if you're surprised by that, I think everybody is, that is heavily boosted by his defensive value, that even though perhaps analytically gets valued at at that kind of level, um, when you're truly the best of the best at your position, Um, I think historically the voters don't necessarily feel the same way. To think that Tommy Edmond and his sub-800 OPS um, and his pace for 
about 17 home runs. Um, to think that he is really going to be taken seriously as an MVP candidate, I I think we can all agree that's not something to worry about. Paul Goldschmidt is somebody on his own team that is going to be grabbing a higher percentage of those votes if it does ultimately come down to that. What Sandy is doing, just to crystallize this case for Sandy, he's stepping up. He is doing the exact same thing no matter what. Every time he takes the mounds at a brilliant level for a team that would be broken without him, absolutely shattered without him. This rotation is, it's him and Pablo is very good. And then it is just a bunch of question marks due to injury and due to just immaturity of these pitchers, not yet being the full version of themselves at everybody else outside of him. And even with somebody like Pablo just not providing the kind of innings, it has put so much pressure on this bullpen, pressure that this bullpen has not been able to deal with this year. They have faltered again and again in those situations. The only piece of tape keeping this thing together is the fact that Sandy provides so many innings, so many quality innings. Every time he takes the mound, it allows the relievers to rest. It allows... Of course, the team to win, they've won seven of his last eight starts, and it takes some of the pressure off the other pitchers when it's their turn to come up, that if you're just coming off a win, you can exhale a little more. by He's saving the bullpen. He's just uplifting the morale of the team. The fact that almost every time he takes the mound, they feel they can win, no matter how undermanned this team is on paper right now, especially in games against superior teams like the Braves and like the Mets. The fact that he's beaten both of them recently um, speaks to the unique ability that he has as one man to elevate the, the performance of his entire team. Is it going to be enough to keep this team around in the playoff race all season long? You know how I feel about that. I do not ultimately feel like he's going to make that much of a difference just because it would be so incredible to do so given the the lack of available talent right now on this team due to injuries. Um, But if he does do that, that would certainly help his case. And even if not, it's just the difference between him and everybody else in the league. There's nobody providing his level of volume and there's nobody else in the league, league adjusted, park adjusted, that is as effective as he is. When you combine those two and you see how he is just controlling the game in a way that shouldn't even be possible. The way that he keeps the ball in the ballpark and the way that he pitches around jams again and again and again, the way that he gets stronger as the game goes on, he has a case. I think he could be the one that breaks that drought of pitchers not winning the MVP award. So he's on pace for, geez, more than 230 innings I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to be in that conversation all season long during a time, especially in the National League, where there just is not very much brilliant starting pitching. Moving into an era where people prioritize building deep pitching staffs and building complementary pitching staffs more so than about any individual player, he is that one individual that still grabs the spotlight, still 
Zul absolutely succeeds every time he's put under that spotlight, doing it in a way where, that we've rarely seen in Marlins history and doing it in a way that is unrivaled by anybody else across Major League Baseball. On the next episode of the official show, I am going to be starting a series every Thursday where I'm going to dedicate those Thursday shows between now through the end of July on the trade market, in particular, players on the Marlins who I feel are trade candidates. The plan is on Thursday to begin by focusing on the bullpen, the few pitchers in this Marlins bullpen that actually have positive trade value and may have some significant appeal on the market. And I'll be joined by several of my other staffers on that show. It's going to be a group conversation on each of those Thursday episodes right here, exactly where you're listening to the show right now, under the same official show title on the same podcast channel. Thank you to everybody who listens and supports the show. All your feedback is much appreciated as well. I've been Eli Sussman here on the Fish Stripes Podcast. I'll talk to you again soon. Go fish! Go fish!